The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory At that time, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman of that district came and called out, Have pity on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But Jesus did not say a word in answer to her. Jesus' disciples came and asked him, Send her away, for she keeps calling out after us. He said in reply, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But the woman came and did Jesus homage, saying, Lord, help me. He said in reply, It is not right to take the food of the children and throw it to the dogs. She said, Please, Lord, for even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the table of their masters. Then Jesus said to her in reply, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And the woman's daughter was healed from that hour. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise A couple of brief project updates before we get into the homily. Uh, for those of you who have driven by uh, St. Anne recently, particularly in the back near the mausoleum, you will notice a couple of things. One is that the house is continuing to uh, get closer and closer to its finishing. Uh, it is still anticipated that the rectory would be completed uh, in early November. Uh, and so um, almost the whole exterior is completed at this point and they're starting to work uh, more on the inside. Also, you will notice uh, a very large uh, truck. Uh, and that truck is a big carrying case for the work and the tools necessary to begin the mausoleum. Uh, and so the mausoleum, uh, we, we did the campaign earlier in the year. And we know that, uh, that we were told it would start during the summer. And you'll also know it's been a little bit rainy lately. Uh, and so the rain has delayed their previous projects, which delayed our project. Uh, but ultimately that leads up to uh, the simple fact is they told us that despite a, a later start, we should still have a similar finish date uh, anticipated, which is early 2018. Uh, and so if you go, they will be uh, working on the mausoleum there uh, for the next four or five months at least. So uh, just to give you a little update on those projects, because uh, I know we have had some questions of when is the mausoleum going to start? When are we going to start building? Uh, and we're going to start building this week. Thanks be to God. So, in the gospel this week, we hear a number of things that provide us some fuel for reflection. As I told you last week, I wanted to begin a reflection on the Mass, to kind of break open once again why we do what we do, and all the things that take place here, so we can appreciate a bit more what takes place right before our eyes, even in our very flesh and in our lips, every single week. And that's partly because it's easy for us to get caught up in the rhythms and the routines. We do the same things. We, do the, we say the same prayers. We hear much of the same stuff offered from the altar. And so it can be easy to kind of just click off and to go into robo-Catholic mode where we, we, we make responses and we don't even know we've said them. I can't tell you how many times I've said prayers at Mass as the priest and been wondering afterwards, did I say that prayer or did I not? I don't know. I presume I did because nobody threw a flag at me to go penalty on the play. You missed something, right? 
And so it's easy for us all, myself included, to be able to just kind of start rolling and not really pay attention exactly to what's taking place. So hope and and being able to go through some of these reflections to be able to encourage my own devotion in the Mass, but also to continue to encourage you as well. And appropriately, this weekend, we begin with not just one reading, but four readings. All of our readings, including the Responsorial Psalm, drive home this point that the place of prayer for the Lord is here for all peoples. It begins with Isaiah the prophet who, being the voice piece, the mouthpiece of God, says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. St. Paul in the epistle, he speaks to the Gentiles saying, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. In the gospel we see that Jesus comes and he has this, this kind of harsh dialogue with a Canaanite woman. And it's this recognition that so often in that day... The Jewish people understood themselves, and rightly so, because they were. They were the chosen people of God. They were the first ranking. They were the ones that Jesus, that that God would come to first. And he would speak to them first. And then from them, they would go out the message to all the rest. Kind of a, a second tier, in a sense. And so that's why Jesus comes and he tells the woman, it's not right to give the food of the children to the dogs. It's not right to give to the second place tier, right? And so it seems a very harsh way that he does it, but he does it really to be able to pull out her faith. But ultimately, all of it is, is a simple reminder to us that Christ came to be able to bring the message first to the Jews and then the church taking up the mission to bring the message to all the world. And so there's not a single person in this world, good, bad or otherwise, there's not a single person in this world throughout all of history who is not welcome in our doors. This house is a house of prayer for all peoples. And what a gift. Because we recognize that if the Gentiles were not called, most of us would probably not be here. If the message was given only to the Jews, those of us who are not ethnically Jewish, which is a lot of us, would not be welcome. But the gospel is for all people. And so we come. And we come to rest with God. Whenever we come to the house of God, a number of things happen before we even start the celebration of the Mass. First is we all gather in the same place, a place consecrated to worship. The chapel is a specific place. Certainly we can pray anywhere, but here we pray as the body of Christ, here in union with our Lord, with our head. So the whole body comes together to be able to pray in this place. And we come not as, a, not as, as just another piece of our time in the world, but we come as an experience that, that we separate ourselves from the world. In the majority of churches, you go into, you walk up, and you take a step up. You take a step up because it's a sign of we're, we're, we're going somewhere different. We're no longer just in the world. So we're going to step up, and we're going to go to a higher place, to ascend the mountain of God, where we can meet the Lord. Interesting that we have a step down here, but that's, that's a whole different discussion. But it's a recognition that regardless, it's a step, it's a transition that moves us from the things of the world into a new place, a place of prayer. And so we come in into this new place of prayer and we place our hands in the holy water font and we cross ourselves in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. On the day of our baptism, we were poured, we were, you know, water was poured over our head or we were dunked in water. Most of us as infants, if we're cradle Catholics, we don't remember it. But that day was the single most important day of our lives. Because it was the day in which Christ saved us. 
is the day in which our Lord, out of love for us, cleansed us from sins. He promised us eternal life, and he made us members of the body of Christ. Even if we weren't aware of it, the Lord did all of those things for us on that day. And so every time we place our, our fingers in that holy water font, it's a reminder of the things that God has done. The promise of eternal life, our membership in a, in a common communion, and the fact that the Lord is a merciful God. All of that in a simple dipping of our fingers in water. And then we come to our pews, and we sit or we kneel, and we pause for a moment of prayer. To allow the day, to allow the week to kind of settle a bit. To be able to give the things of our heart to God, the concerns that we come with, the needs that we have, to give them to our Lord. That he might be able to take them in his own care, even for just this one hour. And for us to be able to rest, to know his peace. And then the Mass begins. The Mass begins with the ministers and the celebrant processing forward to the altar. And at that time, the whole congregation rises, right? But it's not out of respect for the individual, the priest, or for the ministers. It's not as if we're, you know, a judge. When, we, when, the, when the judge enters, all rise, you know. The venerable such and such, the honorable such and such is coming, right? But rather, it's all rise because we're going somewhere. We're on a mission and we're moving. Anytime we stand in the liturgy, it's not just because we're trying to keep ourselves awake because you've got to sit down too long. You've got to stand up to get the blood flowing again, right? No. It's to be able to stand up to say, I'm willing to move. I'm going somewhere. Even if not physically, I'm going with my heart. I'm moving. That's one of the beautiful things that the, that the Lord teaches us in the liturgy. One of the, one of the hymns that we sing here from time to time at the beginning of Mass is, Let us go to the altar of God, the God of our gladness and joy. And we sing that intentionally. Because for, the, for some 1,500 years in the life of the church, the first words that one heard after the sign of the cross were, in the Latin, Introibo ad altare Dei. Let us go to the altar of God. Every single Mass for centuries. The first thing we said was, let us go to the altar of God. Let us go. And we ascend. We're always moving to the Lord. It's a recognition that as we, as we go to the altar of God, we're leaving the world behind and we're coming to pray. We're coming to offer a perfect sacrifice. We're coming to offer the gift of Jesus himself to the Father. So indeed, let us go. It should be a joyful occasion. That's why we sing as we come in. And so we process in, moving to the altar. If we had the, the full ceremony and the full high mass, the incense would go first. Uh, the incense, a kind of cleansing and preparation for our prayers to be lifted up to God as the incense is lifted up to heaven. And then next to them would be the, the cross in the center with candles on each side. We have a, a kind of simplified form the majority of the time. But we have the cross that goes first. Reminding us of those ancient battle days where they would march out and, and, and whoever was the, the, the standard bearer would go out with a sign or you know, a, a flag of some sort to mark, we march under the king of such and such. But as Christians, we march not under a simple flag, but we march under the banner of the cross to show that we follow Christ our king and he is the one we come to serve. He is the one we come to enter into battle with against the evil one because he already has the victory. And so we come to rejoice in Christ our King as we enter into the sanctuary. And as we come forward, the priest venerates the altar with a kiss. 
That can seem a very kind of strange symbol. But the reality is that the priest venerates the altar with a kiss because the altar is Christ. You'll notice that any time that we cross from side to side in the sanctuary, we're supposed to bow. We bow to the altar. And the reason is, again, that the altar is Christ. It's an interesting thing to be able to see, a beautiful thing to see, the dedication of a church or the consecration of an altar. Because in that place, you come in and the altar is completely bare. There's nothing on it whatsoever. It's just a stone table or a wood table there in the sanctuary. And they come forward, and on it typically are already marked five crosses, either etched or etched or carved into the wood or the stone. Five crosses on it typically that mark the five wounds of Jesus Christ, born for us on the cross. And so it has the five stone, the, the five crosses marked into it, the five wounds. And it's taken, it's washed, it's cleansed with water. And then it is consecrated, it is the, the whole top of it is covered in the oil of chrism. The oil of chrism is, the, is the, the oil that used at baptism and confirmation, as well as for the ordination of a priest. In all three of those sacraments, the soul of the individual is changed, is marked forever. One can never be unbaptized or unconfirmed or unordained. In just the same way, whenever the oil is anointed on the altar, it can never become a simple table again. It can never become just a block of stone, but forever. It is marked as a sacrificial altar, a place where worship takes place to our God. Having anointed it with the oil, just the same as in baptism, it is then then wiped off. It is then covered with a white cloth, just as a child receives the white garment. And then as the child receives a candle at their baptism, so also the altar receives the candles. Again, the altar is Christ. And it's appropriate that we reverence him as such. And so the priest comes, representative of the people of God, and he kisses the altar as a sign that Jesus is supposed to be our first love. But also as a reminder to us of the last time that Jesus got a kiss. It was from Judas in the garden. And that kiss was not one of love, but of betrayal. And so we come and we kiss the altar as a sign not of betrayal, but of fidelity. Lord, I want to be faithful. Where Judas fell short... I desire each of us to be faithful, to show you my love. And so we venerate the altar. Then the priest goes and begins the Mass with the sign of the cross. The sign of the cross says, again, in all things, without God we can do nothing. But with Him we can do everything. And so we begin invoking His presence with us. And then we beg for mercy. It's the first thing we do in the Mass. It's the, most important, it's the most important starting step for us, is to ask for mercy. And it, it, it shows us exactly what takes place in the Gospel today. The Canaanite woman, she has no place being there present with Jesus. Again, she's the second tier. She shouldn't have been able to come speak to him because she was a woman, because she was a Canaanite. So that's already two strikes against her. And she comes and she asks for help. Lord, Son of David. It's a profession of faith. Help me. Have pity on me. My daughter is possessed by a demon. And the Lord, again, he initially kind of shrugs her off. But as a way not of of getting rid of her, but of pulling forth from her the true gift of her faith. And she cries out again, Lord, have mercy. Even if I have to act as a dog to get the the scraps of the table, I'll accept it. I'll take it. 
I'll take whatever you'll give. And it's a profound witness of humility and of faith. She comes and she says, I know I'm not worthy to be here. I know I'm not worthy to speak to you. I know, I, I, you know I'm, not, I'm not worthy to be in your presence, much less to ask you to do this favor for me. And yet, I know that you can. I know that you can. I have faith. And the Lord, on account of her faith, shows her mercy. And he says, let it be done as you desire. And her daughter was healed. And we model that same thing here and now in Mass. As we come first and we say, Lord, I know that I don't belong here. And I know I don't deserve to be here. Of myself, I'm not good enough. But with you to welcome me, with you to make me holy, with you to strengthen me, with you to save me, I'm here. Lord, I have faith. Have pity on me. Show me mercy for the weaknesses that I've exhibited in my life this week. For the ways that I've fallen short. Lord, I know that I don't deserve it. But I know that you still love me. And you're willing to give it. That's what we say. When we say the penitential rite. It can seem short. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. But the words are very few in comparison to the words that ought to be spoken in our hearts. And so we ask the Lord for His mercy, and He responds. The priest prays that blessed prayer, May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. There's three particular things that the priest is, is acknowledging and asking God to pour out upon us. May He have mercy on us. First, that, that, he, would, that he would show us mercy by even receiving us. That he would show us mercy by hearing our prayer. Secondly, that he would forgive us our sins. Without the forgiveness of sins, we have nothing. We have nothing to look forward to, period. But with the forgiveness of sins, we have that last promise. And bring us to everlasting life. And this ought to be a, a, a cause of our joy. Whenever we hear those words, and bring us to everlasting life, something should click in our heart that comes on fire. Because it's the promise of heaven. And if we're not excited about heaven, we missed something. We've missed something. And so the Lord bids us to remember our heavenly life. The promise that awaits us. That one day, those who, are, who have already preceded us in death that we mourn, will see them again, we pray. That one day there will be no more suffering. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more tears. There will be no more pain in any, in any sense whatsoever. But rather it will be all joy. And a joy that we can't even comprehend. And we invoke that memory every single Mass. And so it's supposed to cause within our hearts a leap of joy. Much like John the Baptist leapt in the womb of, 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 of St. Elizabeth. At the presence of the Lord, he started to leap and to kick. He became a soccer star right there in Elizabeth's womb. A wonderful gift. And because of that, because of the mercy that God shows us, because of the forgiveness that we are assured if we come in and seek it, and because of the assurance even more so of eternal life, we sing a hymn of praise. We sing a hymn of praise. Do you think that if the woman today in the gospel, do you think after the Lord Jesus said, let it be done to, you know, as you wish, your daughter is healed. Do you think she was like, cool, and walked away? 
I doubt it. <laughs> Rather, I think she was probably more like Mary Magdalene at the, at the garden, uh, at the resurrection, where she clings to Jesus. Magdalene clung to Jesus' feet and was like, my Lord, my Lord, my Lord. And she was excited and didn't want to let him go because of the, because of the, the, the joy of that moment, the joy of that encounter. And imagine the joy of coming and knowing that you were taking a real gamble. He didn't even have to acknowledge her. But he acknowledged her and he healed her daughter on the spot. Anyone who has a mother's heart in here knows a mother's love. Imagine that same place for you. That your daughter was just healed of a tremendous illness. Would you not be excited? And it's that same excitement that we channel in the Gloria. That we sing with all of our hearts. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to people of goodwill. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you, we give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, Heavenly King, O God Almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world. Mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world. Receive our prayer. You're seated at the right hand of the Father. Have mercy on us. Right? It was an ancient Jewish thing that they, they would use repetition in the scriptures. They would say the same thing two, three, four times. They may word it a little bit differently, but they were saying the same thing over and over to drive home the point of exactly what they were saying. When Jesus says, amen, amen, I say to you, that was really important. Otherwise, he would have just said, amen, I say to you. But when you hear the double amen, it had a special significance. And the fact that we come to the Gloria and we sing that praise over and over and over again. And we give the Lord's names numerous times. We praise the God in multiple names, the Lord in multiple names. It's a sign of the gushing of our heart of great joy. Of the importance of why we're here. That without God, nothing. But with God, we have everything. And if that doesn't cause us to sing a hymn of joy... I don't know what could. And so as we come here to this Mass today, we rejoice in God. We allow our hearts to recognize that we need Him. We also recognize that He loves us. And as we come to this Mass, we place ourselves in His care. We place our trusts, all of our, all of our concerns, all of our needs, we put them in His arms. We place them on the Holy Altar and we give them to Him that we might here find rest. In finding rest... He might finally teach us to pray.